Friends, our gospel lesson this morning comes from the gospel according to the evangelist Luke, beginning at the 38th verse of the 10th chapter. Let us hear God's word. Now as they went on their way, he entered a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to what he was saying. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks. So she came to him and asked, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things. There is need of only one thing. Mary has chosen the better part, which will not be taken away from her. Again, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As you will hear in a few moments, this is the 50th anniversary of the Stonewall Uprisings. And as a part of that effort, the Rundell Public Library downtown gathered a, an exhibit, a gallery of artifacts and documents about the Stonewall Conversation in Rochester. And we were grateful that our very own Ralph Carter and Miss Ricky were part of the curation team. And as part of that effort as well, stories were gathered, testimonies. And a profound testimony was recorded by our very own Joanne Anderson, and it touched many of us. So we've invited this morning Joanne to share a very condensed version of that testimony, and I'm grateful to welcome her this morning, Joanne. Good morning. Today, <clears throat> today is Pride Sunday. I would like to give you a glance of my daughter, Heidi, who knew from the age of three he was a boy. The 20-minute presentation was given by me at the Rundell Library as part of the Stonewall 50th anniversary. My personal story relating to LBGT on YouTube, or is on YouTube, and I'm happy to share the link with you. If you are interested, Rachel Norton can be notified. Please include your name and address. My focus this morning is to urge all of you to become more educated, more supportive, and more active. Do not be embarrassed as I was at one time. If you have such a person in your life, and and anyone here who is acquainted with or thought of sending their person to the conversion camp, which my son came close to, please, please, I beg you not to. If you saw the movie, Boy Erased, you will know what happens to these people. I advocate the church reach out to the LBGT community 
through an organization called Trillium and become acquainted with these people and invite them to become part of Third Presbyterian. We need to build the population right here within these walls. My son is one of millions who has led a tortured life for wanting to be a boy. He has spent his 40 years of life living in mental institutions because no one knew the word transgender. To this day, even with the knowledge, mental health is unwilling to treat it other than acknowledge Chris as a he and him. I have fought for five years or more to have him see his first transgender therapist. She immediately noted a discrepancy on the chart. They had stopped giving him testosterone, a crucial component in treating transgender. Finally, Chris is on a new journey with someone educated, trained, and experienced in LGBT. In closing, let me thank Reverend Krug for his kindness in visiting and supporting Chris when his dad passed last October and his ongoing interest in Chris and me. I quote his email to me. Joanne, thank you for sharing Chris's story. It is a tragic one, though he has persisted in claiming his identity as a male, a courageous act, and deserves much respect for that. Thank you for listening. Thank you, Joanne, very much for sharing your story. One of many things I will miss is the portrait of Lillian Alexander hanging in Johnston Hall. I see it at least once a day. It serves as a totem to me, a continual reminder of who this church has been and who we are called to be. Lillian Alexander was an elder who championed the overture, that's Presbyterian talk for legislation, that paved the way for women to be ordained as ministers in the Presbyterian Church. That work came from this place. Remember that. I will. And it was that same spirit, probably working itself out in that same room, although it had a stage then, 
that led the session to declare itself a more light congregation in 1987, more than 30 years ago. More light. We put the historical reference on the cover of the bulletin. Is a Presbyterian effort to protest and then change the Presbyterian Church's policies of ordination and human sexuality. For those of you who were here in the 1980s, you remember that it was a fraught debate. Not all members agreed. Not all members stayed. But I believe it was done decently and in order, and also in the spirit of Lillian Alexander. So remember that. I will. And in remembering that, I express deep gratitude that the Presbyterian Church has changed its mind, and perhaps its attitudes and practices on both ordination and marriage. And I'm grateful that I played some minor role in each of those changes, inspired no doubt by Lillian's spirit. Fifty years ago, do you remember 1969? So many things happened. The New York Mets won the World Series, an unlikely outcome. Neil Armstrong from Wapakoneta, Ohio, became the first person to walk on the moon. Many of you were glued to your television sets. And in New York City, at the Stonewall Inn in Greenwich Village, late June, members of the LGBTQ community began a series of demonstrations. Some called them riots, some called it an uprising. And this marked, historians say, the beginning of the LGBTQ rights movement. We remembered Stonewall yesterday as we marched in the Pride Parade. A Pride Parade that was so hot that it was cool. There were people there with t-shirts saying, we give free hugs. And mostly what I wanted to say is, let's give a free nod to each other and maintain a little bit of physical distance. But that would have been a confusing t-shirt to wear yesterday. The crowds get bigger at the parade. They get more diverse, younger every year. I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful also that the number of protesters shouting ugly things, many of them abhorrent to the gospel that I claim, that group grows smaller every year, but they're still present. So take all of that. Take a vision of our new pride banner hanging from the rear balcony this morning. Take this experience, this 50 years, this 30 plus years at Third Church, take all of it and juxtapose it with this morning's gospel lesson. Now when you read what we just read, our tendency is to move quickly to a, a conversation about Mary and Martha contrasting our own behavior with theirs. Are you a Mary or are you a Martha? Which seems not only reductionist to me, but a little bit sexist. Sexist in that while all genders can either fixate on the immediate here and now or the behind the scenes details and miss what's happening, 
We still ascribe those traits to women, primarily. That's a conversation for another day. What I'd like to focus on for just another moment is the context itself, welcoming Jesus. His crowd is traveling about. Jesus had just told the good Samaritan story, remember? Their heads are kind of spinning about what this all means. And they enter a village. And Martha welcomes Jesus into her home. Martha welcomes Jesus. Jesus is welcomed. And then the Mary and Martha interchange follow, which I mentioned. You can visit that at another time, but but focus on this welcome. We can make the case for welcome, for inclusivity, for more light in many ways. One way we can make it is through this story. That is to say, when you welcome Jesus, you are called to welcome the people Jesus loved. When you welcome Jesus, you are committed to welcome the people Jesus loved. And when you welcome them, especially those who the world and the church rejects, you welcome Jesus himself. A week ago, Lynette preached a fine sermon on the Good Samaritan parable, and if Facebook is any indicator, so did many of my colleagues across the church. It was difficult not to contrast that parable with the headlines about immigration, particular children and families. And all partisanship aside this morning, the question is, how do we measure what we believe and how we act toward immigrants and refugees with this call to welcome Jesus? It's not about politics. It's about our priestly and prophetic calling. And as we remember Stonewall, and as we march in a very sweaty pride parade, and as we recognize progress made and progress yet to be made in the church and in the culture, how do we measure what we believe and how we act toward our lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgendered, queer friends and siblings? How do we measure that? with the call to welcome Jesus. When you welcome Jesus, you welcome who he loved, unconditionally. And when you welcome who he loved, you welcome Jesus, unconditionally. How we do it, this whole Mary and Martha matter is a good conversation about mindfulness and priorities and focus. How we do it is a good conversation. That we do it is not even up for debate. One little parenthetical thought, Jesus welcomed all sorts of people religion and society did not welcome. They were lesser than, outcasts, ostracized for one reason or another. Jesus welcomed them, however, without that understanding. He was the equalizer, but more than that, he was the reverser. We often think of Jesus as the host, as we do when we gather around the communion table. But here, Marilyn Salmon reminds us, Jesus is the guest. And even with Jesus as our guest, 
we must allow him to offend our sensibilities. So that not only are foreigners, and I put foreigners in quotation marks because we can understand foreigner in all sorts of different ways, not only are foreigners welcomed by Jesus, but they abide at the heart of his vision. And not only are LGBTQ persons welcomed by Jesus, they take pride of place at his banquet table. So look around. Find Jesus. Find Jesus and welcome him into your home, into your church, into your world. And then find the people Jesus welcomed and do the very same thing. It is our calling. And when we are confused, and when we are conflicted, remember and trust that God has yet more light. Light that we continue to seek until the perfect day dawns, and there will be no more night. They need no light of lamp or sun, for God will be their light. Amen.